at this time we come to you again, Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give us for this need, our honor and praise for all that you do for us, Lord. This time we ask you to bless these tithes and offerings, bless the giving, bless those who can't give. For the rest of the time we come to you. Just you wait. <laughs> the sermon, the, the sermon's about the sermon's about waiting and uh, <laughs> and patience. Yes, indeed it is. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the uh, gospel lesson today is from, uh, or I should say, the lesson today is from First Corinthians uh, chapter eleven, beginning with verse seventeen. Now in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What, do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, when he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves. Only then eat of the bread and drink the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come to eat, wait for one another. And if you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you, uh, when you come together, you will, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I'll give you instructions when I come. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray today that you would open our minds and our hearts and our eyes and our ears, that we may receive your Word and live in response to it. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I was down yesterday in Starkville, which is one of my favorite places on this earth, uh, to go and find out uh, whether my uh, new, uh, well, turns out it's going to be a nephew, but my new niece or nephew was going to be a niece or a nephew. My brother-in-law, John, and his wife, Whitney, were having a party to announce that their child on the way is a boy, and so we all celebrated. And in the restaurant we were at in Starkville, there was uh, written on the wall this quote from uh, Luciano Pavarotti, the great opera singer, uh, and it says this, One of the very nicest things about life is the way in which we must regularly stop whatever it is we are doing and devote our attention to eating. And yes, that is absolutely true. And many of you, and and I really did too, uh, grew grew up in a time where uh, parents could be much freer with their children. And you could say, all right, Johnny, Jill, get out of here. Go, you know, go do, go play this afternoon. Just be back before supper time. And it was that pattern of meals that governed your life. And the expectation was that everybody would wait on each other and join in that at meal together in the evening. And, uh, you know, it, it was like that for me growing up, uh, too, when I got a little older and my brother and I worked for my dad, who was a farmer, and we would, uh, you know, we'd go in the summers and um, you know, be planting soybeans and, and, uh, and we'd take a break for lunch. And you were looking forward to that all day because you'd finally get a chance to get out of the heat, go home, you know, eat, and then relax a little bit, and then you could go back to work. And when I was uh, going through boot camp um, in the Air Force, uh, the thing that I looked forward to most, other than sleeping, was uh, three times a day I knew that I could sit down and eat, and they could be yelling at me, but I didn't care because I was going to have my seven minutes to enjoy my breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And that pattern of meals kept you going. And all of us, I mean, the, the famous phrase, you gotta, you got to eat to live. Got to eat to live. And that's true. But we know, what we know to be true in our own lives, we so often forget is true of the church as well. Because we have you know, this meal that Jesus has given us and told us to participate in, but so often we don't recognize what it is that we're doing. And we don't recognize that that Jesus has come to be present with us as we break bread together. And we'll go through it in this sort of ritualistic way, and we'll forget about what it is that should be going on um, in our very midst. And we forget the reasons that, that Jesus gave it to us in the first place. But take heart, 
We as Americans in the, in the 21st century are not the first people to uh, get communion wrong and to forget why Jesus has given us this meal. And in fact, we already know that people were getting it wrong before the New Testament was even finished being written um, because Paul writes to the church in Corinth and tells them, in part, you're getting communion wrong. You're not doing what you ought to. You've, you've turned it into something that it's not supposed to be. But unfortunately, as we go back and read these words, a lot of times people have, have misinterpreted what's being said. And uh, we, read, we read this passage, and people will pick up on a couple of lines, and they'll say, oh gosh, we're not supposed to take a communion unworthily. And so then what they do is they set up written or unwritten requirements of what is expected of people. You're supposed to make sure that you're morally pure before you come to communion, or you have to have done this or that or the other thing. Um, and what happens is we wind up setting up these boundaries around the Lord's table, which is the exact opposite of what Paul is telling the Corinthians. Because he's telling them that they've been setting up these false boundaries. They've been keeping people away from the supper. They've been keeping people away from experiencing Jesus in their lives. And the way that they've been doing that is by making divisions among themselves. Paul very sarcastically tells the Corinthians uh, in verse 19, well, of course there are divisions among you. How else will we know who's, who's genuine or not? Who's, who's the holy ones and who isn't? He's being sarcastic. He's telling them there, should, there shouldn't be any divisions among you. What happened uh, very often in uh, the way that community meals were uh, and, and um, you know, sort of a, a meal at somebody's house was uh, enjoyed in the first century is that a person who was wealthy would invite uh, friends and relatives over along with a host of, of network of people that you know, might have worked for them or who might have been somewhat down the social ladder or even been their servants, and they would have sort of a two-tiered meal. The people that they were closest to would all be there together in a small room that held like 9 to, to 20 people typically, and then there would be this outer room where everybody else was. And the people in the inner circle, and it was literally, they all circled around, the people in the inner circle got good food and good wine and good, I mean, good, good, all the good stuff. And then the people on the outside got stuff that wasn't quite as good. And depending on how big the celebration was, there might even be, you know, tears on beyond that. And so uh, those who were, uh, who had resources, could then kind of reestablish that they're in charge. I mean, the whole thing kind of served the hierarchy, right? Because it reminded you of where you were in life, if you were one of the people on the inside or the outside. And when the church in Corinth and the early church in general started participating in the Lord's Supper, it was in the context of a meal at somebody's house because churches worshipped in individual believers' houses. And inevitably, the folks who had a bigger house and thus were richer could, you know, have more people over. And so that's usually where the churches met. And the Lord's Supper at the time was celebrated around a larger meal. You'd have a bigger fellowship meal, and then a particular part of that with the bread and the cup would be uh, the Lord's Supper. And we just do you know, that part of it today in a, in a church service typically, though sometimes you can do the Lord's Supper as part of a, a bigger meal. What's going on in Corinth is this. The rich folks who are the sponsors of the church are bringing to the church the expectations of their culture, which was that the rich were by themselves and the poor people were over here. 
And so what's happening in the church is that there's this division between those who have and those who don't have. And on top of that, it's very likely that uh, the meals could kind of be a, a there'd be sort of two times to them, the, the uh, part of the meal that everybody would actually eat, and then it would kind of devolve into more of like kind of a drinking party. And what would happen is that, you know, if you had to work for a living uh, and didn't, weren't independently wealthy, you might not be able to come to the first part. You could only come to the second. And so Paul's telling the church in Corinth, you've made it into this party that's exclusive, and, and certain people get to participate in this part and others in this part. And what you've wound up doing is excluding the people who have to work for a living and are getting there late and can't fully enjoy what the rest of you all are doing. And so he tells them, you've got to stop it. You've got to get rid of these divisions among yourselves. There shouldn't be any division among the quote-unquote holy people and the not holy people. There shouldn't be any division amongst you based on who has more and who has less. That you should, uh, look, if you're that hungry, eat before you come so that while you're together, everything's even. Everything's on the same ground. And you need to wait for each other so that everybody can participate in a meal at the same time together as one body. And that's what he means when he says, you better participate in the supper worthily, in a worthy manner. The worthy manner is to make sure that everyone's welcome. The worthy manner is to wait on people. That's basic table manners in our culture, right? Wait on everybody to get to the table. That's what it means to partake in a worthy manner. And to discern the body. Earlier in, in 1 Corinthians, and he'll do this again later on, Paul talks about the body of Christ as the church. Discern the body. Recognize the body of Christ. And don't cut off anybody, any part of the body of Christ from being able to participate in what you're doing. Now it's really easy, it's really easy. We do this a lot with the Bible. We look back and we say, those, those you know, people in Israel, why couldn't they ever get it, what God was telling them? And it's easy to do that with the New Testament too. And we look at Corinth and we say, those guys are ridiculous. Why would you exclude people? We would never do that. We would never do that. And, and we wouldn't in the way that we eat. That's just not really a part of our culture in the same way. We're not going to go have a fellowship meal here and say, oh, well, you know, you, uh, you only brought dessert and you didn't bring the meat and so you get less food than everybody. We would never do that. But there are all kinds of ways in our church not necessarily our church specifically here, but in the church in general in America in the 21st century, that we should be on the lookout for because it's easy for us to, in effect, do the same kind of thing and have like first-class Christians and second-class Christians. And for there to be divisions in the church, uh, whether it's economic divisions or racial divisions or whatever, that exclude people from participating in the body. You know, sometimes that can come from things like Sometimes there is, a, there is an expectation at church that you dress in a particular way. And, you know, we're pretty casual here, but that, that, can, that can happen. It can happen when you're a casual, you know, people tend to dress casually in church too, that you can look askance at somebody for showing up in something that you think is inappropriate, or uh, that maybe for dressing too fancy or something like that, and there can become divisions that crop up in that way. And sometimes the, the divisions that we we experience in the church can be because of um, the reputations of people when they come to church. And someone will show up and, and you might not say this to them out loud, but in the back of your brain you're thinking, man, she's at church? He's at church? 
That's, that's not the kind of people we want around here. That's what can go through people's minds. And then it affects how they, we actually engage with them. And we forget, then, we forget that we've all come to Christ as those who were deeply unworthy. And we've all come to Christ as those uh, who needed forgiveness of our sins. And whether you've been a Christian for two minutes or two years or 20 years, we're all recipients of the same grace. And the way that we practice not only communion, but then the way that the com- communion informs the rest of what we do as a church should be a res- as a response to that. And sometimes it's easy to forget. That can work in subtle ways in the church that sometimes um, we don't recognize. And sometimes we need people to help us open our eyes a little bit. Uh, when I was in Nashville at the City Road Chapel, my church up there, we had a, uh, uh, I was in charge of the young adult Sunday school class. And in the young adult Sunday school class, it was a pretty diverse group. And we had people in the, two people in the class with doctorates and two people in the class who hadn't finished high school and everybody in the middle. So big, big range. And we did the best that we could to, to teach and to behave in a way that welcomed everyone so we could participate. Sometimes we were better at that than others. And after a, a, a year or so in this class, uh, one, of the, one of the folks in that Sunday school class told uh, my wife, Jessica, that sometimes it was really hard for her to come to Sunday school. And the reason for that was that even though she was the, the daughter of some of the leaders of that church, she herself had learning disabilities, uh, and her daughter had learning disabilities, and she was a single mom. And when she'd come to Sunday school, she would see uh, all of uh, the ladies in there who had diamond engagement rings, and it was a reminder to her that she was struggling financially and that, um, that, that she was single. Now, what Megan, we'll use Megan, it's not, not her real name, uh, just to keep her anonymous, but um, Megan wasn't saying all of you should take off your engagement rings. She was not asking people to do that at all. Uh, and she, she wouldn't have. But what she did want us to know was that sometimes it was hard for her. And for her to be able to share that it was hard for her in that way to, to be in Sunday school was an act of trust in us that we would be able to receive that in the right spirit and then be able to, uh, to embrace her and welcome her. She wasn't like Paul kind of calling for a change in behavior, but she wanted us to understand. And then from, from that understanding, then we could start working on how do we make sure that she's included uh, in the way that she ought to be in, in whatever it is that we're doing. And that should be the same for us. We should be able to tell each other, whether it's you coming to tell me or telling, uh, telling folks who are in leadership here uh, at Mount Pleasant or whatever, uh, just to be honest about, you know, this is hard for me. Um, and I need to be able to tell you that so that I can, we can figure out together how we're going to be this church that welcomes everybody. And we, are, we remember that all people are sharing in what God has given, the grace that God has given us together. Now, the other thing, uh, the other thing that I think we should remember from what Paul is saying here that's really important for us today, maybe even more important than it, than it was for the, uh, the church in Corinth, is his reminder that we need to wait on each other. His reminder that we need to wait on each other. We live in a culture that's go, 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 go. There's this appointment and that appointment. There's this expectation and that. We go and we get fast food. 
Uh, and sometimes, oh, it, it's a horror when it happens, but that even gets imported to communion. You might have been to a church where they have to-go communion. I shudder whenever I think about that. It's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. Uh, but we live in a culture where we don't wait. Where we're very impatient. And Paul tells this church, you need to wait on each other. You need to wait till everybody can come to the table. Where everybody can participate together. And in a culture that where we don't like to wait, what we need sometimes at church is to be reminded that we just have to wait. We just have to be patient. We have to wait on each other so that we can grow together and stand against this culture that just wants to say, go, 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 go. And, and that's, hard for, that's hard for itching modern ears to hear because we're itching to go at any moment. And communion is, it makes church longer, doesn't it? And some, it means that you know, the preacher might run over time. And, uh, and I know way, you were picking on me, and that's okay. <laughs> no one has ever, bless you wonderful people, no one has ever complained when I ran over time. <laughs> That's a rare treasure in a church. That's a rare treasure in a church. I don't know if y'all know how rare that is. And maybe you complained in your brain and you just disciplined your lips and never told me. But thank you. Thank you for being a people of patience because we don't live in a culture of patience. What time is it? Oh, we might going to run over time today. So thank you for not complaining. Now I just forced, at least I kicked the can down the trail another week. So, uh, but to wait is, a, is an important part of what it means for us to be the church, to wait on each other. John Wesley wanted his people to uh, what, do what he called, uh, practice what he called the duty of constant communion. He had this, this sermon on it, telling folks that they should go to the Lord's table as often as practically they could. He himself would participate at, uh, multiple times a week, sometimes four times a week. Now, he lived in a culture where that was possible because there was a, a church that offered you know, daily Eucharist around every, every corner, daily you know, Lord's Supper around every corner. That's not the world that we live in. And in uh, the church in America, what happened was, you know, we had these circuit riders who go around, you might only get your preacher once a month or maybe, you know, once every, uh, once every four months even. And so we couldn't do it that often. So it, it, we got used to celebrating communion less often than, um, than we might have if the situation had been different. And, you know, we still live in that world here in, in this charge. We have we have four churches, and i got to zip from this place to that, and communion takes time. And so practically, we can't do it every Sunday, probably. Um, but you'll notice that whenever I'm responsible for a special service, we're probably going to do communion, nine times out of ten, because I think it's important. And I think it's an important reminder of the grace that we share as a people, and I think it makes us who we are as the church. And the reason that we go is because... Uh, and we go to the Lord's table to receive His grace. In Wesley's sermon, he addresses a couple of objections that people will have. One of the objections was the same kind of this misunderstanding of, well, I'm not worthy to receive communion. And Wesley says, that's the point that you're not worthy. The point is that you're not worthy. And to know that you are unworthy is then to make yourself worthy. We'll confess our sins when we go and we participate in the liturgy and we should be going in our own minds reminding ourselves of our own need to repent. We go to the Lord's table because we're all in need of mercy. It's not about being a good enough Christian to participate in the Lord's Supper. Communion is what makes us 
experience, it helps us to experience God's mercy again and again. What makes us who we are to know that we're there to receive on equal terms because we're in need of God's grace every day. Every day. I don't often quote German theologians to you, but I will today. Uh, there's a German theologian named Ernst Caseman, and this is what he says about this idea that kind of we need to police the boundaries of communion. Um, and he, this is an article about exactly what I've been telling you, that the whole point of this passage is that we shouldn't make divisions. And he writes this, The Lord's Supper is not only the feast of the deeply unworthy, but also of the needy, the yearning, the oppressed, the despairing, and the accursed of this world. Because the supper is the reflection of Golgotha, the cross in our present time. No one can be a guest of the crucified who is unable to cast off the cloak of borrowed or imagined piety in order to stand with the naked, the freezing, and the despised outside the door of the church to be their neighbor. When we truly celebrate the Lord's Supper, the line from the 23rd Psalm is fulfilled. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. To go to the Lord's table is to know that even though we were enemies of God, that He has welcomed us and made us His people. And that we go with others who might even be our own enemies and who we have conflicts and fights with, but this is our chance to reconcile with them and to offer a sign of God's forgiveness in our own lives and in the way that we treat other people. You know, other objections sometimes that people have to communion uh, and doing it, um, doing it often is that, you know, I don't want it to become uh, sort of, we don't want to do it so often that it's not special anymore. Well, that's like saying, I'm only going to tell my wife I love her once a month because, you know, I don't want her to, to I want it to be special when I tell her. And that's crazy. <laughs> the point of the table, the point of communion, is that it's an expression of Christ's love for us, the desperate and the needy, those who need Him every, every day. The whole point is that this is an expression of God's love for us that was shown in the cross, and we need to be reminded of that every moment, every day. And when we participate in the supper, it's to help us remember when we go about our daily lives and it's a Tuesday at 10 o'clock that Christ's love is there for us that time, just like it was when we were at the table. And when we're going through hard times in our relationships or at work or whatever, that God's love is there for us still, just like it was when we worshipped together and waited on each other. That's what it means to go and participate in this meal that Jesus has given us, saying, do this, do this as often as you, as often as you do it. It's in remembrance of me. And so, and so, I'd invite you to find in your hymnals page 12, and we will remember this story of what God has done for us in Christ so that we can live into that today. This is the meal. This is the meal of the one who was crucified. Offered for us. Offered for all people. For all who love Christ. For all who earnestly seek to repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. So let's pray and confess our sins together using the words that you find here on page 12. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. 
We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. And now we'll continue on page 13. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. It is right to give our thanks to the Lord our God. Right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, He took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood, my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of the bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I now invite you to come. This is not the Methodist table. This is not Smith's table. This is the Lord's table. And you are invited to come and receive His grace. Body of Christ broken for you. His blood prayer for you. Amen. The body of Christ broken for you. And His blood poured out for you. Amen. The body of Christ broken for you. And His blood poured out for you. Amen. Amen. The body of Christ broken for you. Amen.
blood poured out for you. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this holy mystery. And we pray that the love that we have known at this table may help us to know your love every day and share your love with the world. Amen.
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Go with you all. Amen. Uh, Harry's doing okay. Uh, they're waiting to hear back on the test. They'll know about midweek or so, but he's feeling good. He didn't have any symptoms beforehand. The doctor gave him some encouraging words uh, afterwards, and they're just kind of waiting to know more, but keep praying, but I think he's doing pretty good. I think he's doing pretty good. Have time on there Tuesday. Let me call you. I've chipped okay. the toes, so I got to call my dentist Monday morning, and I've got a regular doctor appointment Tuesday or Wednesday, but I can't remember. Okay. Give me a shout. My number's on the thing. I've got you. And I have, um, I'm in. Na- I have a conference in Nashville, uh, a continuing education thing on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So if it doesn't go Monday or Tuesday this week, then anytime next, the week after is good too. Okay. So, uh, sorry, I meant to call, and I had, and then I, things that happen right after the church service uh, tend to go right out of my brain. <laughs> and don't you leave until I gotta get you something. So. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, good. I gotta get something. Be right back.
Hmm? You want some ladies in? This is for Tommy and Linda over there. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see where we got to send it. I bet I can take it to the district office. What's it say on here? Next week, they were reimbursing for that. Right, yeah, we'll give you money back. Uh, all right, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure where we're supposed to send it, but I'll, I'll call Ben Orr at the office and ask him. If not, before. All right. <laughs> The chair, I didn't have a chance to sit in it this morning, but uh, I'll be back. I'm about to go get my stuff from the office and I'll get it there. So. See ya. They're all right. The, uh, the little one's rolled over and she's not quite crawling yet, but she's kind of, she's acting like she wants to. Yeah. And then the, and then. She will probably do faster than Emily did. Yeah, well. She watches her. And she has a, she has a constant threat of getting stomped in her life. <laughs> so she's got a reason, she's got a reason to move. I've noticed big that little babies will just watch little bitty children. Big sister loves well, to, This was two and a half years younger than the oldest. Mm-hmm. And the only thing, all the books, she'd take any of Vicky's book and go not miss a word all the way through. But then she got, she, yeah, but listen to so she got into first grade, or kindergarten. She couldn't read nothing. I'd memorize She'd memorize everything. She'd memorize everything. That's almost more impressive. They had, to, they had to cover the pictures in the books. So wow. <laughs> wow. So she she can remember what it exact word and you yeah. think she was reading. We thought wow. she was good reading. I read the yeah. Bambi to her all the time. She was her favorite. The only the only disadvantage the only disadvantage Abigail has is because she was early. Yeah. You know, she's kinda of doing everything about three weeks behind. Yeah. And so we'll see because uh because Emmy walked dark. Uh, Emmy walked at ten months. Yeah. And we'll see what we'll see how we go with that. She's about to be she's about to be six months old. Yeah. So. Well, she was fourteen months old before she walked. Other yeah. walked. Vicky walked at nine months. So I think at the end of the day, they're I, all individuals. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And some kids do certain things Maybe earlier than others, you know, because they'll concentrate on just the one thing. And the other thing is like Emmy was way more. Emmy would get frustrated if she couldn't do something. So she'd be like rocking, trying to get back up in a crawling position, and and it would make her mad when she couldn't do something. But Abigail's chill. She's just hanging out. She's happy. She's happy, she's happy to be alive, giggling, you know, being enjoying enjoying life. Yeah. I've been meaning to give this to you since December, and every time I forget that I'm over here, and I leave before I give it to you. So. God bless you. Thank you. Bless you too. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Let me grab Mama's coat. So I'm so glad that you are with us and apart. How, how is how is everything with Roger going? Oh, it's going great. Roger's right. a great guy. Uh, I had to postpone our last meeting because of my back. And oh still yeah. Yet. Right, right. But uh, I'm, I've got to get back with him and uh, get back to working on my guys. The going through that. But awesome. Awesome. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for y'all. It's been a <laughs> wonderful blessing for y'all to be here with us and uh and i'm glad you got to preach for me back and we'll find we'll find another chance for you too too so. <laughs> that's fine that's anytime brother anytime
I had nothing. I didn't do nothing with it because I don't know anything about it. So I was like, whoops. How are you doing in the